Hello, friends, and welcome to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association, coming to you from Indianapolis, Indiana. And Stephanie and I are actually recording at the same table for the first time in the history of the podcast. Ever. We're like in the same space. It's pretty cool. (laughs) This has been fun, and we've been spending some time here during the uh, Thursday Global Legislative Assembly. Actually, this is Friday, isn't it? Right. I forget what day it is. It's running all together. (laughs) But we've just had the Global Legislative Assembly, and we've had a chance today to interview a bunch of people. And it's been wonderful to kind of get a a sense of who's been here from all over these different annual conferences to hear what's happening there. Some other folks that we've interviewed uh, around other issues going on in the church. What's been your impression of today? Oh, you know, it's just exciting. It's exciting to see people that we've talked with on the podcast, people from all around the world are, are sitting all in the same room together. And there's such an exciting feeling of God is doing something new. And But there's also, I don't know if you've sensed it, there's also this sense of um, we're we're timid. We're a little timid as we're we're walking into this. But then when we are all together and we're worshiping God together, it's like the Holy Spirit just comes in, fills us up. And even though we may be timid taking some of these next steps, we can take them in confidence because it's the spirit that's fueling them. And and I feel that today. How about you? Yeah, there's just a great spirit in the room when we get together. Mm -hmm. Even the debates, you know, today about the task force reports, you know, you, you know you're all starting from the same place. Right. And that's really helpful to have that kind of conversation. There's a spirit of cooperation in the room, yes. and it's exciting to see where, where that will go. You may notice that there's a lot of buzz in the background because we're recording out here in the lobby. <laughs> this is like Radio Row at the Super Bowl. It really is. <laughs> so we've just been grabbing people as they've been coming by and... We want to just drop these interviews in for you, and we'll introduce the people as they pop up, because uh, as I'm recording this, I don't know what order I'm going to put them right, in. Right, exactly. So <laughs> you get to listen to whatever popcorn comes out right. of, of, our, of our radio here. So, yeah. so give it a listen, and we hope that you enjoy this. And then we're also going to be recording those who have, are speaking at the Global Gathering, which is tomorrow, right. Saturday. <laughs> going to record those folks and we'll also be posting their talks as well and the interviews with the talks kind of like what we did last year right it's going to be really exciting so make sure that you tune in and thanks for being a part of it yeah you're speaking tomorrow too yes i'm excited about that can't wait to hear it thank you so so we get to hear you and then interview you afterwards as well (laughs) awesome give it a listen global legislative assembly on Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Well, we have a chance to catch up here after the Global Legislative Assembly with Jay Therrell, who is the new president of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Welcome, Jay. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate the chance to get to be with you. Good to have you on with us. Newly elected today. Newly elected today. And we had uh, a number of resolutions here in the Global Legislative Assembly referring to the new WCA. So Keith is transferring into the role in the Global Methodist Church. Right. And we'll certainly have an episode where we thank Keith for all that he's oh done, goodness, which has yes. been, of course. been great. You know, um, So tell us what, what the organization is going to transfer to now and how you're going to be focusing as we go forward. Sure. So the whole idea is that the WCA is really going to try to narrow its focus to help churches and clergy get out of the UMC and safely landing in the Global Methodist Church. And the reality is there's lots of different approaches we're going to have to have to do that. For some, it'll be an entire annual conference withdrawing. For others, it will be trying to help them, at least in the United States, with possible legal strategies that they might need to pursue. Outside the United States, it will look different. It'll look different in Africa, and it will look different in the Philippines and in Eastern Europe. So we're going to have to have a multi-pronged approach, but that's going to become really the singular focus. And to be clear, as we adopted in the resolution this morning, it's not just to help theologically conservative folks out 
It's even to help progressives out. We want, we want to have an equitable exit for everybody. What's fair is fair for all. And we don't want to punish anyone. We don't want to be punished. Right, right. And so we want to help everybody to right. get out. So, so where do you begin? You know, I think the first step for us is going to be empowering and equipping our regional chapters. I think it's a sleeping giant that we have that we need to tap into a little bit more. And so obviously I need to work with the council a little bit more, but I foresee us in the very near future probably having some kind of a boot camp for regional chapters where we empower them with a whole new set of resources that they can share, teach them how they can share these messages with other churches and clergy, and then deploy them to go do it. Yeah, that's an awesome idea because I know you were president of the WCA in Florida. Right. And certainly have done a lot with that chapter. We've tried. Yeah, yeah. we really tried hard. Yeah, whereas we in the West have very small chapters, right. and we need that kind of guidance. So that's And I've said to a number of folks today, both in the West and also in the Northeast, I, I want you all to hear uh, you are not forgotten. You're in a tough spot, and I recognize that, but we're going to do our best to help get you out. Awesome. We're, we're not forgetting you. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. Any words you want to pass on to folks as as you begin this tenure? Because you're kind of you're kind of stepping onto the boat as it's careening down the stream. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I would say, Bob. Um, I said this to the gathering this morning that when Keith and I talked, he made the comment to me that he did not feel adequate to the task, and I totally understand what he said and what he meant by that uh, because I don't feel adequate to the task but I trust that God is going before me and before all of us to help us so I'm I mean that big time Um, I just want folks to know as well that we are going to work as hard as we possibly can to either get churches out or to help get a much fairer system of exits from the UMC uh, at the next general conference, one of the two or both at the same time. Stephanie's joined us. Um, Stephanie, do you have any questions for... Oh, I'm just so excited and congratulations to you. This is just a really exciting time. So uh, Bob may have asked this already, but just tell me what you're most excited about in the new chapter. Mm. Um, I'm excited about seeing clergy and churches get to thrive in a new environment. Mm. So one of the, the... things that I have gotten to experience has been so positive because I've worked on a number of task forces for the WCA and the GMC. Mm-hmm. It just is very different when you're sitting in one of those meetings. You don't have to fight over things. You don't, right. there's, you don't have to wonder what is the politics going on behind the scenes. You're, you're actually all moving toward the same kingdom goal at the same time. It, it's it's so refreshing and beautiful. Yeah. I can't wait for other churches and clergy to get to experience that. <laughs> So exciting. I also want to know, how has God prepared you for this? Because I know you just shared that you do have that feeling of inadequacy, which I think is a great sign that you're ready for it. But how do you think God has prepared you for all of this? Well, goodness. (laughs) I have a really diverse background. So like Keith, I'm an attorney as well. I use it every day. Um, I always tell folks that if lawyers can get into the kingdom of God, truly with God, all things are possible. So. Right. Uh, it's just proof of the, the gospel being true. Uh, so I have that as my background. I'm a local church pastor. I've been a district superintendent. I'm used to dealing with bishops. I know who all these folks are. I've dealt with them. Um, I respect them, but they don't scare me. And uh, they are human beings just like you and I are. And we're going to work with them. But I also hope that they understand that the WCA is going to lead its churches out regardless. And they can either join in that effort and help make it go a whole lot easier for us and for them. But if they don't, the WCA is still leading churches out. Yeah. Regardless. Any last words you want to give to folks as as you begin your tenure? I think I would just first ask you to pray for me. Definitely. I, I covet that. And the second thing would just be to say, it's going to be okay. I know there's a lot of anxiety, and I understand that. But I've, Billy Graham used to say this. I've read the whole Bible cover to cover. I know how the story ends. God wins. Yeah. And it's going to be okay. Yeah. We're going to get this done. That's right. It's a good word. Thank you so much for joining us, Jay. You are I know you. I know you're probably 
just overwhelmed with stuff today. No, it's, but, I'm, yeah. I'm glad to be with you. But thanks yeah. for taking a few moments. So. Thanks so much. We'll Thank be you. talking some more. I'm All sure. right. Love you. Sure. All right. Bye-bye. So Tom Junk is here with us. He is the head of the delegation for the Oklahoma Annual Conference, and I have known Tom for years. I went to youth group with his kids. My dad and Tom worked together for years back at First Methodist in Tulsa. So Tom, how are you? I'm well. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you for doing this. We really appreciate you doing this for us. So tell us a little bit about what's going on in the Oklahoma Annual Conference and what it's like right now to be the head of the delegation. Well, it's a very interesting time in the delegation as you would expect. Like everyone else's delegation, we're waiting to serve. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll deliver my third update to our annual conference uh, next month and actually this month. And I don't know that we've ever given three updates from a delegation before because usually we go to general conference (laughs) and we come back and give them the report. So (laughs) this will be our third time to say we're still in a postponement yeah. Waiting period. Yeah, exactly. And it's, been, it's been very frustrating. Uh, probably a third to a half of our delegation are first-time delegates, mm-hmm. and they were uh, excited to be elected and eager to serve. And now we're in a, a third postponement or possibly a, a cancellation altogether mm-hmm. of the 2020 General Conference. So it's been hard to keep the delegation together yeah, I bet. and motivated mm-hmm. and educated on, on where we are uh, with the postponements. Yeah. So with that, when you're kind of taking the temperature of the delegation right now with them being a little bit discouraged, wh- what do you do to keep them excited, to keep them together? What are you doing to help with that right now? Well, we were... Uh, charging along uh, the first year after our election, many meetings and, and had uh, several presenters come in to get us up to date on the legislation that was uh, going to be before us in Minneapolis. And then, of course, COVID hit. Yeah. And so we had to pivot, like everyone else, into a, a Zoom platform mm-hmm. for our meetings. And, you know, you lose touch. Oklahoma is a large geographic conference and our folks are scattered and so for for a year and a half we conducted our meetings uh via covid i mean via uh zoom yeah and uh, it felt like via covid (laughs) yeah via covid (laughs) yeah and uh and so it's been hard we we haven't we still have not had an in-person meeting Wow. Uh, since since the onset of COVID. Wow. Well, you have been so instrumental in helping with the WCA in Oklahoma. You're a part of our executive committee, and that's been fun to serve with you that way. So tell us a little bit about what you and Karen Nicholas are doing to get the word out across the state of Oklahoma, because this has been so helpful. I think our listeners would appreciate hearing that. Well, I, Karen, I've been uh, making some visits to some churches in Oklahoma, some regional gatherings. I I'm kind of the opening act for Kara. Kara brings <laughs> the real substance. and um, But we've been uh, just attempting to make churches and pastors, especially laypersons, aware of what their options are now uh, since the passage at the 2019 Special General Conference of paragraph 2553, mm-hmm. and then, of, of course, the 2548.2, just a different transfer transfer or disaffiliation uh, processes that are available to churches now. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding is a lot of laity uh, are just not aware of this. Mm-hmm. And in our particular conference in Oklahoma, uh, we've been living in a bit of a cocoon uh, because we just haven't had a lot of clergy misbehaviors or challenges to the Book of Discipline that some of the other annual conferences around the church have right. gone through. We, we really feel for our sisters and brothers yeah. uh, around uh, the, the charge or around the connection that have had uh, really big problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been fortunate. I think our bishops in the past and present have kind of put the word out, you know, that we're, uh, we're going to follow the discipline in Oklahoma and, mm-hmm. and just don't try this on my watch because... Uh, you know, it's not going to go well. But but we also know, uh, I know through these last rounds of interviews of Episcopal candidates that <laughs> it's very likely that when this uh, quadrennium is over, 
our leadership will probably have a dramatic change in Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to believe that. Yeah, and I... What what kind of terms are you having? Are you having churches disaffiliate? And if so, what kind of terms are you seeing? Well, the largest church in Oklahoma, which is Asbury United Methodist in Tulsa, announced um, about two months ago that they had disaffiliated. Mm-hmm. They didn't say they were going to start or going to chat about it or anything. They they planted their flag and uh, had. Uh, transferred the deeds of their property and moved their financial assets and so uh, they uh, are being very proactive about their future and moving ahead Um, another church on the far other end of the theological spectrum in Oklahoma City has requested to disaffiliate Mm -hmm. and uh, but they are going through the process with their district superintendent and the cabinet. And then I feel like um, there are many others, I don't know how many, who are going through a discernment process in their church. My pastor uh, actually developed a, a simplified study and discernment process for congregations that our, that our cabinet uh, gave their stamp of approval to, and so my church, First Church Tulsa, is in the middle of it. I know others around Oklahoma City and other parts of the conference are are in a discerning uh, process right now. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful, and um, it'd be great if you could share that process with us too. Well, it's on our website. Yeah. It's on our it's on our Facebook page on our Oklahoma Wesley Wesleyan Covenant Association uh, Facebook page, and it's it's. Uh, we think it is very helpful. Uh, I think it follows probably some of the uh, discernment practices from Ignatius. Mm-hmm. And uh, because, you know, we're not in, in this to uh, run off and leave anyone. Uh, we want to answer all the questions we can. We want to try to build consensus uh, in the churches. And, uh, and we don't want anyone to feel like the, a congregation or a church is making a decision that folks just can't... That, they just can't live with. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Well, that's that's incredibly helpful because I think a lot of churches are trying to decide how to decide. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We keep talking about the decision, but talking about how to decide and do it well. So yeah. uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan Covenant Association Facebook page, uh, we'll put a link to that in our show notes mm-hmm. for this too. Thank you so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, Great thanks to for see being you with us, Tom. So I'm welcoming, welcoming in here Richard Thompson and Ted Smith, who are both compatriots from the Western jurisdiction and want to just get your input on what's happening with your annual conferences around disaffiliation. Richard, go ahead first. Hi, I'm Richard from Cal Nevada Conference. We have a small WCA contingent um, and uh, we're kind of scattered. So we're not as well organized as some of these other conferences and together. Um, I think we have, I, I think the landscape is such that People are still kind of uh, figuring out what they're going to do now that the general conference and this potential for the protocol to be passed has been kicked down the road. And we have a number of congregations who are ready to to go with the protocol, have a vote, congregational vote, and move with that. But now they put that on hold because they're not sure how things will work out with their congregational vote. My, my congregation is an example of that. We have quite a number of ethnic um, congregations that identify with us but don't raise their voices and raise their heads because of, you know, it has to do with uh, appointments and so on of their pastors. I know of two, potentially three congregations that are preparing to disaffiliate using paragraph 2553, and I don't know if they will come up for a vote this year at our annual conference or next year. But others are, are taking a wait-and-see um, approach to this. One of the things that's thrown a glitch into our process as well is our, our currently appointed bishop, Minerva Karkanyu, is on suspension from her duties due to complaints filed. And I just read yesterday another communique that that suspension will continue past the 60 days because she filed a, an appeal to the Council of Bishops about the complaints. And so they're going to keep her on suspension while those appeals are being adjudicated. And that's put a 
at least been used as an excuse to put on a hold, put on hold any changes in our conference. Ted Smith in Cal Pack. Ted, tell okay. us what's happening. Well, first of all, we have a very recalcitrant uh, bishop by the name of Grant Tagia. However, um, our CalPAC conference, we've had several meetings. We started meeting with churches that are seeking to disaffiliate. Uh, our leadership in that is mostly Korean churches at the moment, but we're bringing in Chinese, Tongan, and Samoan churches. As far as our ethnic issue, uh, the African-American churches, which theologically have joined with us, have still remained silent on whether or not yeah. they're going to come with us. Yeah. Our ambition is to get a group of churches to go before uh, the Board of Trustees and Bishop Pagia to make an exit strategy out of this church this year. And even if we have to have a special annual conference to do that, we are hoping to be out by December. Mm -hmm. That's our plan, um, legally speaking, because I am a lawyer. Um, in addition, from the ground up at our coming upcoming annual conference, we do have a resolution on a process of leaving under 2548 or under 2553, and we are seeking to have the trust clause have value, but not using real estate as, our, as the basis for uh, the exit in cost. However, recently we just received a letter from the Board of Trustees they want to use 50% of the real estate value as a, as a means of getting out. That's the, that's the biggest hurdle that we have right now. We're going to seek to negotiate that down. Ted, can I ask you a question? Are they, going to use, are they demanding 50% of the uh, real estate value in addition to two, point, two years of apportionment and pension? Yes. Uh, wow. Yes. Wow. And, and the real hurdle is not the two years of apportionment. It's, it's, the, it's the property value. Yeah, Some course, of the churches of that we have located that seek to disaffiliate are in very affluent areas on sure. corner lots, and their, their right. value is in the millions. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's always interesting. I mean, we're still negotiating this in Mountain Sky Conference, and um, those, those discussions are ongoing. But it's been fascinating across the board just to talk to people about where things are and... and uh, Everyone's different. Yeah, they're all local, and we're not blessed to be in an in, annual conference where the entire conference is getting ready to go. Exactly. Or a clear majority, and there's just a few progressive churches that right. don't want to leave, and it's their issue and how they stay in. Um, we are the minority. However, yes. in our particular conference, we are a significant monetary uh, majority in the in the in the money that's getting from apportionments that's received from apportionments. So the fifty or so churches that leave for us, especially initially, is going to hurt the economy or the uh, revenue of the conference. There's no doubt about that, and they know it, and they're going to hold it against yes. us. Yeah. Unless and we're going to try to find a legal way out of this. In, in Cal Nevada Conference, we're a very distinct minority. I, I, I sometimes think that Cal Nevada Conference is the leader of the progressive movement in, in the United Methodist Church. So we're... we're, we're I'll a, dispute that. But very, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> very small minority. Um, um, and we have... We, we struggle to, to keep those voices together. However, interestingly, this annual conference, there will be a resolution uh, that is signed by or sponsored by both myself and Jeffrey Kwan, the president of um, Claremont School of Theology, who's a progressive uh, leader in our conference. And that will raise, raise, raise the awareness among people. And it's asking for the trustees to be charitable in allowing congregations to use either of those two paragraphs to disaffiliate. Well, you've been blessed in that regard. We reached out to our progressive leadership. Yes. And we asked for their assistance or their incorporation into our resolution. The problem became, first we had discussion, and then all of a sudden there was radio silence for us. We couldn't hear a thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the bishop and the board of trustees came out with their, yeah, without with their, their, with yeah. their decision on, on the process. And I realized that they have taken over... Uh, this endeavor for them, and they're not going to let anybody else from the progressive side speak on their behalf. Wow. Interesting times. Thank you for joining me both. Thank, Thank you. you, Bob. Thank you, Bob.
We are catching up right now with a special guest, Kent Millard, who is president of United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Bob. Thank you. Yeah, so good to have you here with us. So tell us what's happening at United. You published a piece recently about kind of where you are in the midst of all this. Right. And as a United Methodist seminary who's got a, a foot in both of these worlds right now. Right, right. Well, the mission of United Theological Seminary is to prepare faithful and fruitful Christian leaders who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're accomplishing that mission because 80% of our graduates are actually serving in local churches. And we have about uh, 488 students this year. And uh, 50% are African American from 39 different denominations, wow. and 39 different states, and 11 different nations. Wow. So it's a very eclectic, that is, people from many different denominations and backgrounds. What students like when they graduate from United is that they've heard different theological perspectives. Because we have people from different denominations all over. And they say, and mine was respected. They weren't trying to make me something else. And 90% uh, of the students feel that way. And so we feel that's a good thing. That's called education. <laughs> because you hear different points of view. Yeah. Because if you only hear one point of view, whether it's progressive or conservative, that tends to be indoctrination. I think we have a great faculty that does a good job of education. Now, in terms of what's happening now in the United Methodist Church and the Global Methodist Church, I'm going to remain as a United Methodist, as president of the, of the seminary, and we'll remain a United Methodist seminary. But we welcome global Methodists. In fact, we've started a house of studies for a global Methodist. A house of studies is a particular group of people who will take all the basic courses, but their elective courses can be in a denominational interest. And so Greg Stover from West Ohio will be teaching our, our global uh, Wesleyan house of studies, and not just global Methodists, but Wesleyan Methodists and Free Methodists and other Methodists that are not United Methodists. We'll also have a house of studies for Hispanic students. In fact, and it's all in Spanish. Wow. So it'll be, I think the first that's all in Spanish around and uh, it has taken off like mad. We're opening it this fall and we'll have probably 40 or 50 Hispanic students from United States, Mexico, Colombia, and Peru who can get an MDiv, Master of Divinity, completely online, uh, which is unusual. And uh, we got a grant from the Lilly Endowment, which enabled us to lower the tuition dramatically so that they could afford it. And I'm excited about that. Wow. And we have uh, another initiative is uh, uh, we have uh, the Bishop Bruce O. Innovation Center under the direction of Sue Nelson Kitty. It's really our way of helping congregations become revitalized. Most of our education is preparing for professional church leaders. But the Innovation Center is preparing congregations. And she has a process of helping churches discern God's will for their church. Not a, a cookie-cutter kind of thing, here's what you should all do. But you spend time before she comes in prayer. Discerning what is, it's not what I want, it's not what the you want, what not the lay people want or the pastor. What does God want? Just ask that question. And churches have had huge revitalizations. Because usually churches, I was pastor for 47 years, you get in conflict. The, what does the pastor want? What do the lay people want? And they're in conflict. That's the wrong question. It's not what the pastor wants. It's not what the lay people want. What does God want? And, and you can't find that out without each of you praying and listening and discerning God's will. So I'm excited about that new initiative as well. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, what we're going to try to model at United is I will be a United Methodist pastor as president. Dr. David Watson, our vice president for academic affairs, will become global Methodist. And we want to model how a United Methodist leader and a global Methodist leader can work together for the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. You do not have to be in conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't understand why there's such conflict over this. Uh, I talked to a lot of my progressive and centrist friends. I said for 50 years, You've wanted the conservatives to leave the denomination. And now they're willing to leave, and you're upset about it? <laughs> Why? This is what you've wanted for 50 years. Yeah, I've said, I've said to someone, I can't understand why you won't take yes for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's All right. exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. You want us to go? 
Uh, my hope and prayer is for both both branches. Um, one of the speakers at the Council of Bishops meeting last week was a church historian. She said that um, there were eight separations in the Methodist church in the first 100 years in America. And in most cases, both sides of the separation thrived and grew spiritually as a result. What happens is when there's a separation, there's clarity of mission. What's happening in United Methodist Church, there's not clarity of mission. We say one thing in the discipline, we have another practice. We're not clear. So when we separate, both parts will have clarity of mission, and so people know what they're getting when they go to the Global Methodist Church or the United Methodist Church. Clarity of mission brings uh, people who believe in that. As long as you have sending mixed signals, uh, who wants to join a church that doesn't know what it really believes? Right, right. Yeah, I, I think what you're doing around that is just incredibly helpful. And, and I was sharing with you earlier, I mean, I, I took a course at United last summer on uh, ancient Christian catechesis Yes. with Justice Hunter, which was an amazing, amazing course when we were reading Chrysostom and Gregory the Great and sure. Gregory of Nyssa and oh. all these people that I've never really read before. Yeah. And there's a there's a, a richness to that tradition that oh, yes. no matter which branch you're in right. uh, of any of these Protestant denominations that mm -hmm. we have hundreds thousands right there's there's deep wisdom in getting back to that so I love the the focus on getting back to the basics mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Doctor Justice Hunter is a superb faculty he is one of our most popular because. He, he, he lives in medieval ages, I think. I mean, he <laughs> thinks theological. I don't think he has an untheological thought. <laughs> but he, he's brilliant, and uh, I don't know if he's recently become Roman Catholic. Yeah, yeah. He's a, and he's a Wesley scholar. So he's a high church Wesleyan wow. who came back to uh, Catholicism. He's a layperson. So he doesn't have an ordination issue or anything like that with the United Methodist Church. But uh, one of the things we're announcing is uh, we're hoping to start a Ph.D. program. A Ph.D. is generally only for teaching. Our Doctor of Ministry program is for people who are in the practice of ministry. A Ph.D. is in between them. It has more research to it, and it has the same validity as a Ph.D. for teaching in seminaries or colleges. But it also has a component of bringing revitalizations to churches. Mm. So you can be a pastor and a professor. So in about 2024, we're hoping to launch that. It takes a long time to get accreditation for it and funds. Uh, but we think that will be a, uh, an exciting new program for United to prepare people who want to teach, but they also want to serve a church. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope my wife is not listening to this because <laughs> she just heard the she just heard the light turn on in my head. Oh yes. yes. So you would be a good candidate <laughs> yeah. because if you like Justice Hunter, you'll like this yeah. program. Yeah. Well, I, I have <laughs> my doctor ministry. I mean, I I went to Asbury twice, but you know, sure. she's like. Enough. Right. <laughs> enough is enough. One more, one more yeah. right. That's just my, I love reading books that, like that, though. I ate that stuff up. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. And it's been an honor and a privilege to be a part of this whole movement. Uh, it's not without bumps in the road. Sure. Right. Uh, and challenges. But uh, we think uh, we'll be able to work them all out um, and try to be a, a seminary that respects the Global Methodist Church and respects the United Methodist Church as well as the other 49 denominations that we have right. Right. where we have students. Right, right. So. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ken. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Good to have you with us. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here with Chuck Savage uh, who serves with me on the Global WCA Council and is also a member of the North Georgia Conference. Chuck, it's great to see you again. Uh, Pleasure's mine, Bob. We've only seen each other now two weeks in a row. Yeah, we were at the Good News Board a couple weeks last week, and uh, then this week, and then you've got another meeting coming up this following yeah, Asbury, week. Asbury, Asbury trustee. One of the most traveled men in Methodism, right here. So, tell us what's going on in the North Georgia Conference. We're just kind of getting a, a sense of what's going on across the connection. Well, there, there are several things that are going on in the North Georgia Conference. There are uh, 71 churches, is the latest that I've heard 
that have already applied to and are in some stage of voting to disaffiliate, and we haven't heard of any of them that have failed when they've gone to vote yet. Uh, the grapevine is that there are a significant number that will follow that in a second wave, but we don't have any exact numbers yet. The other thing that's really neat is that um, some of you all may be aware of the conflict that had been going on over Mount Bethel, and there's news out today that that has been resolved and that uh, uh, the conference and that Mount Bethel have come to an agreement that will allow Mount Bethel to go forward. Don't know the details of that, but, uh, but that's really, really exciting news because they've been one of the flagship churches that's been leading um, the, the, the traditional movement in the United Methodist Church. That is big news. And uh, I'm proud to say that the little church that I serve is one of the 71. And uh, so effective uh, June 30th, I think, is the date that we'll be officially no longer a United Methodist congregation. Well, that's, that's helpful to hear. I think there are a lot of churches that take encouragement from that, and a lot of us are still going to be stuck for a while, but it's good to know that there are some who are, who are moving outward. What kind of encouragement can you give to churches that are, are thinking about this? Well, you know, there's a metaphor that comes to my mind, and the metaphor is this. Uh, some of you all may remember the true movie, The Ten Commandments, with uh, Charlton Heston. And what I remember about that is that there was a scene where Yul Brynner's sitting in his chariot uh, and, uh, and he makes the comment, his God is a poor general, so he gets him with his back to the sea and all of a sudden uh, Charlton Heston who plays Moses stretches his arms out and the Red Sea parts and I think that's where we are in the, in the, in the Methodist movement that we're standing on the banks of the Red Sea and God's about to part it and let us walk through on dry land. And so I'm very, very excited about that. And I would just say to those churches that are still looking forward to getting out, keep the faith because I think we're gonna have a Red Sea moment. Awesome, thank you, Chuck. All right, I have a chance to sit down here with Jessica Legrone to talk about her new book. Jessica, welcome. Thanks, Bob. It's good to see you. Tell us about the book. Great. Yeah, so um, I'm so excited about this. It's um, being released by Zondervan, Zondervan and Seedbed, and the name of the book is Out of Chaos. So tell me it's someone in the world who does not want to be out of the chaos that they're in right now. Yeah, exactly. And and I, so so give us a little bit of background on what, mm. what brought you to write this and yeah. And what's the, what's the bottom line of the book? Tell mm -hmm. us what, what the basic theme is. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think it started for me in just so many conversations with people who were being derailed by chaos in their lives, whether small daily chaos in their families, in their jobs, or, you know, global pandemics have happened. I don't know if you've noticed. That was a thing. That, that yes. And so... This idea really took root because I started asking questions about where God was and all of that and God's intentions. And I really, I say that Genesis is my favorite book of the Bible and I've never really gotten past it. Um, I cannot get over Genesis. So, you know, right there at the beginning, there's chaos and chaotic uh, waters and God hovers and creates and brings something new. Um, and that's what I also started seeing in people's lives where their chaos was concerned, you know, that where chaos happens, God really can move in and make beauty out of it. That's not just something that happened in creation. It's, it's actually the story of the cross, where God takes the most tragic, chaotic moment in history and transforms it through resurrection. So I began asking people some of the deepest times in their lives or their closest points to God, and they always started at a point of chaos that God transformed. Mm. I always think of that scene on the water where the disciples are in the storm with Jesus and he calms the water and it takes you back to that chaotic moment mm -hmm. of creation. Mm -hmm. Here is the God who speaks order into chaos mm -hmm. or silencing mm -hmm. chaos. What, what kind of things do you think people who are in a period of chaos, as we all have been to one degree or another, what would you say to them right mm -hmm. now? What's the, what's the, What's the God moment in the midst mm -hmm. of that? Mm -hmm. Well, first, just to acknowledge that 
chaos is overwhelming. You know, just like the storm you're talking about, how could you see beyond that? You know, you might be under a, a cloud bank and the world around you is bright, but you cannot see it. In that moment, you are overwhelmed by the chaos. And that's a totally normal feeling in that time. But I think just the perspective of who God is in the midst of chaos, you know, what, what does Jesus do in chaos? Does he stir it up? Does he mock anyone in fear? No, he takes a nap. <laughs> right. He is at peace. In, in the moment when he is at peace, right, is when we're struggling. And, you know, to really take a moment and step back and see God's perspective and the larger perspective. That's why I think scripture is so important for us. God has been through much worse times and seeing the world through bigger things than we can imagine. So just letting people know, like, God is not afraid of chaos and he's in it with you. Jesus in that story is literally in the same boat. (laughs) You know, that's a phrase we use, but he is. He doesn't run away. He doesn't abandon people. He is in it with us and he, he can transform it and really hold on to us until we see through the storm to the other side. One of the things that strikes me as I've been thinking through this time has been that for some reason, we as Western Christians think that, and perhaps this is part of our part of our ethic that comes out of that kind of hovering moralistic therapeutic deism mm, that it is there. That it's about the pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. and that avoiding suffering is the mm. primary goal of life. Right. And yet we see in the scriptures over and over again God calling people into chaos. Mm-hmm. I think of Jeremiah, for example who's called into chaos. Right. I want you to go do this. Right. And, and it's probably not going to have a great outcome for you. Right. Uh, or Jesus calling his disciples on the road to the cross, mm-hmm. which is ultimate chaos. Yeah. Take up your cross. Yeah. Follow me to suffering. Yeah. Here, we, here and, we go. Yeah. And so we, we so want to avoid that and just to be, mm-hmm. be happy and secure. We mm-hmm. keep talking about safety and that's a huge part of this culture. It is. It is. And, and it really creates idolatry in us because we long to be in control. Control and safety seem to be gods to us. So we want to say, I want a God that I can control. And if this God is not going to prevent my suffering, I might just move on. Um, that, that It's in all of us, really, this sense of idolatry. Because idolatry is really ourselves being on the throne because we can control idols. So, you know, that... That has been so miscommunicated in our churches, in our faith, that if you follow Jesus, the way will be sunshine and uh, flowers. And we're almost shocked. You know, even the question, why do bad things happen to good people, is in itself kind of a theological problem. Just Mm -hmm. that question. Because God doesn't promise that good people can avoid bad things. In fact, his son can't. (laughs) You know, if Jesus can't avoid suffering, why do we imagine that we can? But what God promises is his presence and his power transforms the chaos, something that we actually can't do. Um, Moralistic, therapeutic deism does not transform chaos for us. It just is an escape. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a, a fake escape for us to go to. But God himself actually has power to transform chaos. It, I see that story repeated in scripture over and over again, this transformation of chaos into something new. Um, another thing I was really careful with in this book is I, I didn't want to pretend that there was some formula to escape the chaos and get out. This is not an escape clause. Three easy steps, five happy exactly. hops, whatever. Exactly. And I, so I made sure to really interview people and tell some stories. For example, of a, a woman I'm good, good friends with whose son is, has special needs and needs her attention daily in a way that most parents, um, most parents, their, their kids age out of that stage. This child's never going to age out of that. And so her life is a daily entering into chaos out of the choice to love her child. And that will be their journey together. So where is God in that story? There's such beautiful things that come in that story. But I didn't want to imply that chaos is something that we leave behind automatically because we follow Jesus. That's really important. Because again, we want the quick fix. Yes. We're taught that and we deserve it. Mm -hmm. That's what people want. Yes. And so I love this idea of entering into the chaos and being able Mm. to kind of sit there for a while. Yes. Um, So when does the book come out? It is out May 10th. So yeah, it's out all the places that sell books. 
um, really we're, we're doing some launch events, some book giveaways. Um, I have a, a Facebook page that you can just search Jessica Legrone and follow where the giveaway events are. And then um, just look for Out of Chaos and it has a swirling watery cover. And the O in chaos is like a ball of yarn that has just gotten tangled up. So I love the visuals of that. I love metaphors. And chaos is all around us, but it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, it's not um, the last th- the last word. Chaos never has the last word. God does. Yeah. Switching gears just a, just a hair. Sure. You're working with seminary students in the midst mm. of all of this chaos yes. with the denomination. Yes. What are you hearing from them? You know, I, I love this generation of emerging leaders. They are amazing. And they, they have vision and excitement for the church that is unparalleled, I think, by the other generations that are out in it and fighting and working through it. Um, they want to see God's kingdom come in a powerful way. And God is giving them individual visions and callings to that. And I think, you know, in the past we've said some to people going into ministry, well, here's the box we're going to need to fit you in and make sure and just get this generic training and calling. This is not a generic generation. They have very specific callings and goals and giftings, and they're, they're going to follow that. Um, they are, like most of us, confused by the current happenings in the world and in the church, in the United Methodist denomination in particular. They're waiting to see, like, what, how is this going to emerge? But I don't think they're going to let that stop them from ministry at all. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see many of them that are turning away from ministry because of the chaos in the church. I see them longing to enter it and... Um, you know, they don't want to work on institutionalism. They don't. And they are not going to give themselves to institutionalism. This is about movement for them and transformation and, and mission. You know, they're, they're passionate for justice and mission and to see the church look more like the kingdom of God in so many ways. Um, so I'm actually more excited. I, I get this really interesting uh, viewpoint where I get to hear from this emerging generation and it keeps me excited about the future of the church. It's easy to get cynical in the midst of all this. It is. And for those of us who've been around a while, that becomes sort of our default position. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really helpful to hear people who are willing to enter that and who want to rely more on Christ yes. to take care of them yes. and their ministry rather than a denominational that's, structure. That's exactly right. Regardless of where it, where it winds up. Mm-hmm. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for taking a few minutes. This is uh, great. We're here at the at the WCA Council meeting yes. prior to the global gathering and the global legislative assembly, and uh, just great always to reconnect. And uh, one more time, the book is Out of Chaos. Out of Chaos. And you can grab it anywhere fine books are sold. <laughs> thank you, Jessica. Thanks, Bob. Welcome back, everyone. We are with Keith McElwain from Western Pennsylvania Conference. Yes, hello. Good to be with you. Keith is pastoring in my hometown of Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. Wow. That's pretty awesome. It is. It is awesome. So tell us what's happening in Western PA. Well, like in many annual conferences, we are working to find a way out for all churches that want to exit affordably and peaceably. Uh, We have a resolution going to our annual conference in June that really would benefit both sides of the aisle. Um, that will help us to get out in a way that is fair and just and affordable. And so we're hopeful that folks on both sides of the aisle will support it. Mm-hmm. So you're doing it legislatively? We're doing it legislatively. Uh, it's still going to take some time. Even if the resolution passes, charge conferences, church conferences rather, will have to do some work. And then annual conference 2023 will have to approve all the exits. But uh, we're trying to do it legislatively and praying that uh, that, that is the the heart of our bishop and other conference leaders. So when you when you talk about legislation, how are you handling like pension obligations and things like that? In Western Pennsylvania, we have a unique situation where our pension plan is actually overfunded. They've been very good stewards of that. So um, the overfunding has been used by conference leadership to help pay for conference staff, which tells us that it is spendable money without doing any damage to the pension fund itself. So we are proposing that the pension surplus be used to help churches exit by paying their pension obligations. Um, So that will alleviate that huge cost to local churches. It's a potential strategy that other conferences could use. I mean, when you think about, you know, are there, 
I mean, I, I asked, I've, I've had actually put out to ask us, do we have a reserve? Do we have something like that? It could be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're working on it. We, we don't know yet how conference leaders feel about our legislation other than we know they, they dislike it because they don't want to see any split at all. But um, uh, we're hopeful that folks ultimately get behind it. So have you had any churches that have disaffiliated or transferred as of right now? There have been one or two. Uh, they were not really connected to the WCA. Our mantra has been from the very beginning that uh, the WCA in Western Pennsylvania will stick together. We will exit together. We will work together, stand together. So we're hopeful that this would provide a way for all of us to leave together and ultimately join the Global Methodist Church together. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, We'll sir. see you in Pennsylvania in June. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, it's we'll exciting. Thanks, All right. Well, now we're sitting here with Jeff Greenway, a good friend, lifelong friend of my husband, Phil, and he's serving at Reynoldsburg, and it's just good to have you here with us. We just wanted to pick your brain about how you're feeling about the current status of things. It's been a big, big weekend for us. You know, I, uh, I was just uh, texting with my wife, talking about the fact that today is kind of like a culmination of six years of our lives. Wow. I mean, for six years, other than serving the church I serve, uh, probably a part of every day has been something in leadership in the Wesleyan Covenant Association, something in preparation for the Global Methodist Church. And to, uh, to, see, uh, to see and sense the spirit of unity in the room, I, I was just talking to some friends of mine from Rocky Mountain Conference, and I said, can you imagine in any of the rest of our annual conferences discussing a, a resolution on sexual brokenness and without it re, you know, degrading into total anarchy, but the spirit of unity, yeah. the forward thinking of uh, what the future looks like, um, understanding that there are, still, uh, there are still issues that are pressing against people to be able to get to that, but to be able to see it and to hear people introduced as uh, clergy in the Global Methodist Church, to hear people introduced as members of the Transitional Leadership Council, uh, to take the action to elect a new president because our first president is now going to be the connectional operations officer in the new denomination. That's all good, you know, and yeah. uh, and to be invited by Keith to, to uh, pray over the launch of the church was uh, one of the highlights of my life. Mm, um, yeah. and I've, done, I've gotten to do a lot of cool things, but to be able to, that moment was not lost on me. So it's a great day. Yeah. A great day of celebration, uh, with more work to do. Yeah. yeah. Now you were you were the initial president of the or chair of the council. Yeah. Well, there was a there was about a six to eight, nine month period of time. You remember this, Bob? We didn't have a president. No. And the chair of the council was kind of like a de facto president. Yeah. And uh, when that was all done, they gave me a five hundred dollar gift card to Home Depot. <laughs> yeah. And I went and bought a new chainsaw. So it I was the do. difference between judges and kings. Yeah, right? it was. Right. It was the difference between judges and kings, and. And uh, so, yeah, I was the chair, I think, for the first five years of our existence and uh, timed out and, and have been really grateful for Carolyn's uh, support and leadership when I was the chair because she was the vice chair. And mm -hmm. now I get to do the same for her. But, um, yeah, and, and to, to watch how uh, some people have served on the council for one or two years because they filled out terms and some have filled on the, served on the council for six years now. And to watch how God has brought an amazing collection of leaders into the into the universe of the Wesleyan Covenant Association to help populate what will be the Global Methodist Church, it, it's to witness that is only something that God could do. It's yeah. been a movement of the Spirit. I'm just grateful to be a small part of it. Mm -hmm. What kind of lessons have you taken from this? <laughs> oh boy. Um, Uh, first of all, it's really deep in my prayer life. Um, I think like many other people, sometimes we think we can, uh, and sometimes we function as if we're going to get by on our own skills and abilities. Uh, but to recognize that from the very beginning, we are part of something that was so much bigger than we were. Uh, I remember in the early days, I used to say, we're building this plane as we're flying it. <laughs> and... Uh, and, and we're not quite doing that anymore, although the Global Methodist Church is kind of doing that now. But uh, So for me, it was the deepening of my prayer life. Um, I've, uh, I've always been pretty good at delegating with accountability, but I really had to maximize that in, in this season. Um, the other big lesson was I don't have to respond to every critic. Mm. Uh, early on, Keith and I would 
we'd get calls about commenting about every topic du jour, you know, and, and one of the consistent messages that I would tell him is this is a distraction. Let's not get distracted in this minor stuff. Let's stay focused on the prize. And uh, after a while, I didn't have to remind him of that anymore. But, but for the most part, we've been able to stay laser focused on the task at hand, not get sidetracked into incidental things. And, uh, and I think that's paid off in remarkable ways. Mm-hmm. I think the other uh, thing that um, I'm learning is, uh, and I said this last year at the Global Legislative Assembly when I gave the devotions, um, our denomination, the United Methodist Church, I'm still a United Methodist elder, full connection. I've not transferred yet. I've not taken any orders, so in mm-hmm. case anybody wants to... Opinions expressed, not necessarily those. Yes. Just- yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but uh, one of the things I've learned is uh, our denom- the United Methodist Church is really good at fighting. Unfortunately, we fight the wrong thing. And, uh, and we've developed some ecclesial weaponry over the years mm. uh, to, to, to engage in that kind of warfare. And, uh, and we can debate all day long about righteous causes, unrighteous causes, all that. The fact of the matter is we know how to do it. And one of the things that I'm ringing the bell on is the importance of beating our swords into plowshares because it's time to plant again. It's time to stop reacting to everything that's going on around us and be proactive in planting churches, mm-hmm. be proactive in a movement. And uh, I'm, I've been participating in a, in, a, in a cohort the last couple of years of 25 people each year who want to plant global Methodist churches. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to, to see the excitement about that and to catch a vision. I had breakfast this morning with somebody. His goal is to plant... 50 house churches in a six-county area wow. in Appalachia. Wow. <laughs> and, and, I mean, he is on it. Mm-hmm. And so he's a guy who's kind of turned the page. He's not going to waste his time on incidental things. He's going to move forward with the vision that God has given him. And, and I, I think that we have the potential over the next decade to replicate what the Methodists did in the 1840s. Yeah, we can start a hundred house. We can start a house church a day, mm-hmm. and just watch what begins to happen uh, in in the communities in which we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. That's really exciting. One of the things I love about hearing you talk about that is it, it gets me excited about the future. But I think about all of the ways you've been so formative in the WCA, now the Global Methodist Church. So, what do you see your role is? moving forward what do you hope to be a part of well um i was just talking to jay Farrell, you know i said i'd be willing to help him in any way i could i think one of the things i have is a corporate memory uh of uh of some some principles that were in play that were not necessarily uh, codified as policy but they kind of kind of became guiding principles i think i serve you know i'm the old guy you know <laughs> I'm, I'm 62 years old and uh and i think that uh I, I, you know, part of my role is to call forward some younger leaders to step into some places. Uh, part of my role is to encourage uh, Jay and his role and Keith and support Keith and what he's doing. Um, I think that, you know, this church I serve uh, is, uh, is a great church. And um, at some point, we're going to be making a decision about our future. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of that with them and we'll lead them uh, into, their, into their future. Um, but that church has a vision of starting at least five churches in the greater Columbus area, Columbus, Ohio area, in the next uh, year and a half, because wow. I believe there are going to be a whole lot of disaffected United Methodists when they begin to live into the reality of what the next, you know, what are they calling it, the continuing United Methodist mm-hmm. Church is going to look like, that all of a sudden they're going to say, you know what, uh, we need something different, and they're not going to want to drive for 45 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. But if we can, God has sent us people in our in our church right now who live in those areas that have ability to lead house churches and so we're cultivating them mm-hmm. we're getting them ready to do that so i'm excited about that um and and i you know uh my wife and i have conversations pretty regularly about how long i'll uh, be in active service or not mm-hmm. and uh we're both at the place where we're gonna we have an idea of when that'll be but we're gonna hold that loosely to see what god asks us to do in the future mm-hmm. And uh, we both said we'll never say no to Jesus. That's right. And so we're, you know, we're trying to figure that out. I love that. So, 
Jeff, as a friend and mentor, we just thank you for all that you do. Yes. And um, pray God's blessing on you as we move thanks, into Bob. the new thing. I appreciate it. It's yeah, so great thanks to be for with being you. Thanks with for us. what you do. Yeah. It's a great time to be a global Methodist. That's right. right. <laughs> thanks, Jeff. Well, I hope you've enjoyed listening to the perspectives of some of the leaders across our connection in both the United Methodist Church and the Emerging Global Methodist Church. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at WCA Pod and send us your comments and questions at podcast at wesleyancovenant.org. We look forward over the next several weeks to publishing and posting a lot of the talks from the Global Gathering on Saturday. So I hope you'll listen in for those and the interviews we have with each of the speakers. Join us again next time on Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association.